Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, and always live on the free Odyssey app, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. After a quick wild card round, it is on the, to the divisional series and four game ones today. We're excited to talk about that, as well as everything going on with your Chicago Cubs and Chicago White Sox. Welcome in. This is Inside the Clubhouse, brought to you by Aloha Restoration. Call Aloha for your water, fire, mold, and remodeling needs. I'm in for David Haw. I'm Mike Esposito alongside my friend Bruce Levine. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Mike. And it is off-season, which means that if you need your baseball fix, we are here for you 52 weeks out of the year, talking ball 9 to 11 a.m. on the score. And uh, normally David Haw in, but of course uh, Mike's sitting in for David, who's getting a well-deserved rest this Saturday. And Mike... We're going to be uh, talking to Josh Barfield, the assistant general manager of the Chicago White Sox. We're going to hear from Michael Kopech. We're going to hear from Kyle Hendricks. We're going to hear all Chicago baseball. We will get to the uh, baseball playoffs at some point during the show, but our show is always interactive at 312-644-6767. And the show topic today, of course, is moving to the offseason season. What were your best Cubs and Sox moments in 2023? Mike, um, off the top of your head, since we didn't discuss this in our pre-show, what would be your top moment for the White Sox and Cubs this year? And I'm, I know every White Sox fan is listening right now and going, <laughs> give me some time on this, Levine. Okay? Right. Uh-huh. Uh, the top moments. But, you know... There were some great moments, including Luis Robert. Uh, you know, there were uh, some some good moments. Not many pitching staff-wise, but uh, I will start with the Chicago Cubs and the great moment. I'm going to pick the Michael Talkman catch uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals over the fence, which not only saved a run, but saved the game right there uh, in the ninth inning in St. Louis. Not, not only as a as a highlight, but uh, one of the turning points, I think, in the season for the Chicago Cubs. Bruce, I'm with you. That was the first one that popped into my head. And I would would go even further and say, literally, that whole week, Pat's going into the Hall of Fame. The Cubs were on a hot streak. I believe that was their eighth win in a row, the Talkman game. And the catch that just kind of punctuated that streak, they were uh, out of contention, under 500. That really propelled them right into the race. And also, if you remember Jed Hoyer talking around the time, that was kind of his deciding point, right? He decided right around that point, and the Talkman catch certainly helped that, all right, we're going to go for it. We're going to add, not subtract. We're not going to deal, guys. Uh, But that catch, uh, a huge part of the season in St. Louis against your longtime rivals to win the game, a walk-off catch over the fence, uh, certainly – the best in my in my mind for the Cubs this season. Um, the Morrell home run, the walk off at Wrigley where he tore his shirt off, comes to mind as well. Uh, but I think the Talkman one has to be uh, for me the winner. 
I'm struggling with a um, I'm struggling with a White Sox highlight. Okay, I mean there were some. Um, <clears throat> I know Dylan sees through a few good ball games. Certainly Luis Robert. Um, I I remember some great catches. Obviously 38 home runs, which was uh, spectacular. The guy uh, is going to be a superstar. He's already on the prefaces of uh, being that type of guy. So. Uh, I would I would hope that um, our great callers out there and great listeners will uh, fill us in on some of the great moments in White Sox 2023. Um, difficult to get to right now. I will say that uh, some people will say there weren't many to remember. Yeah, uh, it was no, a and tough year for the Chicago White Sox. We 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 welcome your calls and texts at 312-644-6767. Right. And we are also broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Bruce, it's not a positive in the sense that something good happened, but maybe it was a positive in the sense that maybe the organization realized and ownership realized that they were changing direction. And I'm not in any way picking on... Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn, both longtime guys that uh, I know you know very well. And, uh, longtime there, guys. Longtime baseball guys. We've had Rick on many times. We've had Kenny on many times on, on these airwaves over the years. But when they were let go, it at the very least told White Sox fans across the country, you know what, we're pivoting and, and we're, we understand things are failing right now and we're, we're going in a new direction. 312-644-6767. Top moments for your Cubs and White Sox teams in 2023. Obviously, Mike, uh, Liam Hendricks returning from uh, cancer was a an Definitely. unbelievable highlight, not only for the Chicago White Sox, the city of Chicago, uh, but everybody uh, in baseball. It was, it was a wonderful moment and uh, uh, such, a, uh, such a great thing for... Liam to be able to return after working so hard and going through so much with him and his family. So uh, that was a wonderful moment. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Liam wasn't able to pitch very much longer before uh, his arm gave out and he had to, had mm-hmm. to have Tommy John surgery. He will be out the entire 2023 season. As to whether or not the White Sox pick up his option, is going to be interesting. The contract reads this way, Mike. Liam Hendricks will make $15 million uh, one way or another uh, after this 2023 season. Uh, It's either uh, a um, the White Sox don't pick up the uh, option and he gets $1.5 million for the next 10 years, or they pick up his option and he gets $15 million for next year where he um, at the very at the very very best scenario he he can he will pitch in September okay mm-hmm. very best um, so the White Sox have a decision to make there because it's Liam Hendricks and because of what he's meant to the White Sox and uh, what he has done you know to stand up um, in this role of him having cancer I'm just thinking the White Sox will pick up the contract. They, they have to pay it one way or another. Um, they have to absorb it either over 10 years or this next year, whatever. Um, he's an inspirational person, wonderful guy, 
long before the this thing, he was giving um, many hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, charity. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm rooting for uh, Liam Hendricks coming back, Mike. I am as well, Bruce. I agree with you. I think it's great uh, to have him around this team. I really think this is this becomes more of a financial decision for the White Sox organization rather than a baseball one. Is do they want to have this uh, happen over over the ten year period, or do they want to get it over with next year? And that also goes to a, a second question, like. Is is 2024, and you know we've heard from Chris Getz, and I'd love to hear your comments on this. Is 2024 a year when the White Sox are remaking their roster, trading guys, dealing with the fallout of you know some of these guys' contracts are ending, some of these guys uh, like Tim Anderson that they have under contract for another year, are they going to keep them? Are they going to try to move them? If 2024 becomes another rebuild year, then maybe they keep him on and and absorb that next year, knowing full well that they're going to be shedding some guys, shedding some salary. It's a transition year. Let's just get this on the books now and then have a fresh start in 2025. I think a lot of that goes to what the Sox plan for the season. You know, it's a good question, Mike. Uh, Looking at the minor league system, looking at what they were able to bring up, um, it's it would be it would be hard to really say that the uh, Chicago White Sox will be contending in 2024 for a title. However, it is the American League Central where the right. Minnesota Twins, who will uh, play today against the Houston Astros, um, won 87 games which is the lowest amount in the Central to win the division since 2009. So uh, it's the anything and anyone, uh, anything can happen, anyone can win, okay, in the American League Central year to year. Uh, Do the White Sox automatically, are they automatically eliminated off of 2023? No. Do they have a tremendous amount of work to do uh, in this offseason here? And we'll get around to... Uh, who should stay and who should go uh, later on in the show. Mike, um, I, I would say tremendous amount of work to do. They will be picked by most people to finish either uh, second to last or last to the Kansas City Royals going into 2024. Right. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, too, as you're talking about the division 87 wins for Minnesota. Cleveland's going to be starting over with a new manager, uh, Terry Francona retiring. You had Detroit, who actually, I think, played pretty well in the Central and and down the stretch, but still uh, a question mark that finished under 500. And the White Sox, and you think about it, I mean, it it seems uh, foreign to think about this at this point, but six months ago when we were starting the 2023 season, you know, the White Sox were the favorite in the division, right? I mean, you, you looked at the talent on the roster, and they were they were projected by a lot of people to be the team that would come out of the Central to win it. And now uh, you, you're talking about, uh, again, rebuilding and not contending next year based on what happened this year. I know that April start, to me, the, the thing I remember and the thing I think about most when I think about this season, and we welcome your input at 312-644-6767, is... You know, the White Sox have a new manager. 
but the expectations are high. They've got the the roster with a lot of familiar faces on it. And that April, I think it was seven and twenty-one off the top of my head, the record that right. they started out with. They just never recovered from that. They could never dig themselves out of that hole. And if anything, things uh, obviously, as the season went on, just got progressively worse. Right, and that's why from the very beginning, uh, Pedro Gafal really never had a chance. A lot of people said, well. Uh, they should be better than that, and he should be to blame. The White Sox did not feel that way. Pedro Grafal will be back to begin the 2024 season as the manager. They're replacing up to four different coaches on the staff. Uh, we'll be hearing about that over the uh, next month or so as the White Sox move toward the general manager meetings with the other 29 clubs in <clears throat> Scottsdale uh, in, on November the 7th through the 9th. So the White Sox have a lot of work to do. Chris Getz and his new uh, front office will be rolling up their sleeves. We'll be talking to Josh Barfield, the assistant general manager and director of minor leagues uh, with the White Sox at 930. Uh, So um, lots to do there. But as we segue over to the north side, let's uh, let's take a few calls, Mike, uh, on the White Sox. Let's do it. Uh, out to Lincoln Park we go, and Charlie is up first and inside the clubhouse. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, guys. Uh, during a bad season, Stoney and Benetti and even Gordon Beckham did a great job keeping people's interest, adding great analysis, telling people you know what needed to be done. So I give a big shout-out to those three, especially Stoney and Benetti, for, uh, for a job really well done. Yeah, we and um, <clears throat> Charlie, um, when you have to entertain people for three hours and the team is bad, that's one of the hardest things to do, I think, to keep people's attention. Obviously, you have been able to uh, pay attention, and, and you're, you're right, Jason and uh, Steve do a tremendous job. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Mike, uh, <clears throat> not much to say in that area other than uh, if you can – the ratings, obviously, on TV, uh, tremendously down for the Chicago White Sox this year, as you would imagine, uh, after yep. that type of play. It has nothing to do with uh, the great broadcast that NBC Sports Chicago put together or the talent. Uh, it, was, it was the same thing last year in Marquee, where their, 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 um, watcher, uh, their, their, their viewers are up 43% this year. They did a, a great broadcast the year before, the year before that, with teams that were under 500. Uh, a lot of it just has to do with, of course, um, how good the teams are. We've we've talked about that many times, and whether it's Benetti and Stone or on the Cubs side, Pat and Ron here on the score, or Boog and JD on the TV side, we are blessed with wonderful broadcasts on both sides of town. Uh, across all mediums and uh, certainly enjoyable for the Chicago fans. So appreciate that from Charlie up next Southside. It's Ron on inside the clubhouse. Hey, good morning, Ron. Hey, always good hearing you, Mike. Good morning, Bruce. Uh, good morning. I'm going to make a, co- co- a comment about the White Sox, but I did want to make a quick comment about baseball in general. Cause I'm a baseball fan. I was glad to read on uh, attendance. It's about, I think, 9%. Uh, uh, average attendance is 29,000, so I think some of the changes made to the game. I was glad to see that. But So, uh, now, speaking of change to, to the game, let's get you the White Sox. Uh, yeah, some of the moves they made in, in, in the front office. But, guys, the type of players 
the Gets, Griffold talks about they need. The, the White Sox don't have those players. The game has passed them by. They don't have any speed. Another, they don't steal bases, and they right. don't prevent bases from being stolen. But as it, long as they bring back those same players, you can change everybody, manager, GM, assistant GM. You bring back that same core, Tim Anderson. Uh, your Amincata is still never going to play 150-game. Eloy, you're going to get the same thing. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Ron. Yeah, you know what, Bruce, and that's that's as as I'm looking at the White Sox decisions, Bruce, for next year. The guys that Ron just mentioned, literally, those are the guys. And I don't imagine you're going to be able to do anything with Yuan Moncada based on the money he's owed. But Eloy, when healthy, we know he can hit. Staying healthy is the problem. Tim Anderson, he's got the one year left if the Sox uh, pick up that option, which I believe they will do, but we don't know that, right? The the contract situation, you could clear that up too with with Tim Anderson outside of that. I mean, that's, that's, those are really their big decision points. And if you look at that rotation past Dylan cease, and you're going to talk to Michael Kopech later in the show um, there, they need a lot of pitching. They need a lot of everything, Mike. And uh, that's why the uh, president, uh, vice president of baseball ops and general manager were let go. Um, once the team fell apart from the seams this year, uh, the rest of the organization was exposed with the, with uh, the trades that they had to make at the deadline and uh, just the obvious um, holes in the gap there. Uh, I will say, I think the hires they made are outstanding. Uh, they're great baseball people. Uh, I've known a, a few of them for an awful long time. Gene Watson and I have been uh, friends for uh, over 20 years. Um, he's a terrific uh, scouting person and He'll be the director of player personnel. And we'll talk to Josh Barfield at 930 about his new role as assistant general manager and also uh, director of player personnel or uh, the minor leagues for at least a short period of time. Absolutely. And Bruce, uh, on our text line at 312-644-6767, if you'd like to call, that's the number as well. I don't know if this person is trying to be funny and make a joke or be serious, but it actually does both, and it brings up another point about the 2023 White Sox. There were some Jake Berger moments, which there were, and then, of course, he had more moments down in Miami helping lead the Marlins to the playoffs. But that, I know, is a sore spot for a lot of Sox fans because here's a young guy that was producing, and that, that was the guy he traded. So I know that was uh, that, that's a, certainly an interesting point in the White Sox season. Well, hopefully they didn't give him away. They're getting a, a young pitcher back that has a, a tremendously high upside. But from the perspective of uh, trading Berger, it, it was hard for me to watch a player like that get traded because he's so south side, okay? He's yep. blue collar, you know, two uh, issues with his Achilles heels that kept him out for a couple of years. Um, coming back. Uh, just hitting big home runs all over the place, playing everywhere, including second base, which he never played uh, since he was in uh, junior high school. Um, and just being the type of likable south side player that, you know, people want. I understand they felt they had duplications with DHs all over the place and Vaughn at first base, but uh, that was a hard one to swallow. Mike, let's take this uh, last call before we hit our break. 312-644-6767. Okay. Oh, 
Okay, I'm just being told Bob in Arlington Heights had dropped off, Bruce. So let's take our time out right now. And then when we return, we will get to White Sox Assistant General Manager Josh Barfield at the bottom of the hour. Happy to talk to him and welcome him uh, to inside the clubhouse. We also have to get Bruce on the Cubs side of things to the Pete Alonzo stuff that you had reported earlier this week. Cody Bellinger, lots of uh, people interested in what the Cubs are going to do with Cody as he is a free agent now. And really, which way the Cubs go uh, heading into next season with certain players. We'll also hear from Jed Hoyer and Nico Horner. Some good sound from them this week. All of that coming up. But Sox assistant general manager Josh Barfield coming up next on Inside the Clubhouse here on The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. And always live on the free Odyssey app presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. And we are back 52 weeks a year. Saturday morning baseball talk and Inside the Clubhouse alongside Bruce Levine and Mike Esposito in for David this week. And we're happy now to hop on out to the SCORE hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And we are happy to bring in the new assistant general manager of the Chicago White Sox. Josh Barfield joins us on a Saturday morning on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? Good morning. Doing well. Uh, Appreciate you taking the time out today. You know, I, I would appreciate the uh, you starting the uh, the interview with us, talking a little bit about the, the signs that that you and your wife saw uh, when you were trying to decide whether or not to stay with the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, who you'd been with for the last seven years, and then uh, going over the offer from uh, Chris Getz and the Chicago White Sox to join as the new assistant general manager and, and director of minor leagues. Uh, I, I wonder if you can go over that story where you and your wife were uh, driving in Arizona and what you saw. Yeah, so it was pretty funny, especially looking back. We were, you know, kind of caught off guard a little bit. We were, you know, I was so happy in Arizona, and you know, we were in a good situation. Team's doing well, family was happy. Um, hadn't really thought about going somewhere else. And then when Chris called and we talked, I started getting really excited about the opportunity. But there's always that you know, reluctance, I think, to leave a, a good situation. But um, the more and more we talked, the more I got to know him and, and hear his vision, the more excited I got about it. Um, but I know for my wife, that's, the family's huge for me. I got two little girls, and um, I wanted to make sure that they were they were on board with the decision, with whatever we did. And, uh, you know, we – Chris made an offer. Um, you know, we were pretty excited about it, but still kind of – it was – up in the air, we were talking, we were praying about it, and you know, it's funny. We were we were looking for a sign, like something that said, "This is a slam dunk. This is this is why we should do this." And um, you know, Chris called back, and they they upped the offer, and it was like, "Man, we really want to do it, but uh, I don't know." So we were picking up my daughter from school. Um, we had gotten about a mile from the house, and we we're sitting at the uh, at the light, waiting and talking. My wife looks up, and she goes, "Do you see that?" And I said, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I, I think that's the sign we were looking for. She actually snapped a photo of it. and It was an Arizona license plate. We were about a mile from the house, and it says Sox 29. It was the on, only number me and my dad ever wore in the big leagues was 29. So to see that out in Arizona, I was like, that, that does it. I called Chris about five minutes later. 
That's certainly uh, one of those stories, right, Josh? And it's uh, great to hear and great to have you here. And I know White Sox fans are excited. And and you mentioned your dad because you guys have a tie. I know your, your dad uh, grew up around here and you have ties to the South Side already. So uh, for Sox fans that aren't aware, maybe you could give them some of your background and, and that of, of your family that uh, is intertwined with the White Sox. Yeah, so my dad played 13 years in the big leagues, and you know he's an all-star. Played with the Yankees, played with the uh, Blue Jays, and um, he grew up in Juliet. Um, you know, he went to Juliet Central, and uh, had a lot of family out there. Still do have a lot of family out there. He grew up a White Sox fan. He used to go to the games all the time, sit out in the left field bleachers, the old ballpark. And actually, when he got called up from Double A and made his major league debut, it was at the old ballpark in Chicago. So it was kind of a full circle moment for him. And, um, so when I called him and told him that, you know, I'm going to be joining the White Sox organization, I was excited. He was over the moon. So, uh, hmm. you know, I, I ended up playing, uh, following my dad's footsteps with nearly the player he was, but got a chance to play in the big leagues with the Padres and with the Indians and um, bounced around a few other teams uh, in AAA after that and, and then got over to the Diamondbacks with uh, Dave Stewart brought me in when he first got the job and allowed me to do a lot of different things there, got to – scout, got to work in player development, um, eventually got to lead our, our farm system for the last four years. And, uh, it was a wonderful experience, really enjoyed it, learned a lot, and I think a lot of the things that I learned through not only my playing, but also on the other side with the D-backs, uh, you know, hopefully try and bring over here. Josh, when you're, you're looking at the White Sox from the outside looking in and you're, you're seeing Chris Getz at the, uh, the different meetings, including the winter meetings where all the uh, – minor league directors that get together uh, just like uh, throughout all of baseball and uh, and you're you're looking at their system and, and then you're trying to decide whether to come over or not um, you must be about challenges because uh, this is a big <laughs> challenge for you going forward uh, with all due respect to the to Chris who uh, did the best he could with that before you you're taking over for him um, there seems to be a lot of work to be done. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of work to be done. I think, um, you know, it's funny when I got to spend the last couple of weeks in Chicago and that was the first thing everybody said, if they tell me congratulations and they're like, man, you got your work cut out for you. So, uh, but yeah, I'm excited about it. I think there's, there's some good pieces. I think, uh, you know, between some recent drafts and I think they did a great uh, job at the deadline, um, capitalizing on some of those pieces in, the, in those trades and acquiring some really talented uh, upper-level talent. I think that kind of infused the minor leagues, and I think we continue to just build on that. And um, you know, there, like I said, there's good pieces there. We're going to continue to add to that, and uh, you know, hopefully start to develop the pipeline up to the big leagues. Talking to White Sox assistant general manager Josh Barfield here and inside the clubhouse and. And Josh, I think uh, Sox fans look uh, need to look no further than than the Diamondbacks to kind of see some signs uh, uh, of what you might bring to the table. Arizona, and I know this is uh, something you're certainly keeping tabs on. Ton of young studs on that team, and and they are one of the the final four there in the National League. So maybe some of the blueprint, some of what you did down in Arizona, and you, you bring that uh, with you here to Chicago. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny looking back. I would say we were in a worse spot in our minor leagues probably about uh, three or four years ago, um, as far as not having a lot of uh, a lot of prospects. Uh, it had been a while since we had gotten you know, impact players up to the big leagues, and I think it started with that 2019 draft. 
really hit on a lot of those uh, those picks, and that started the ball rolling. That was when we got Corbin Carroll and you know the Dre Jamison and Ryan Nelson and a lot of these guys that you've seen over the last year really uh, come up and impact that team. And so I think you know we can we can turn this around. I think it's going to be continue to identify talent, whether that's you know through trades, through through uh, the draft, through international signings. You know, continue to bring those guys in, and then just uh, you know, if we can really, really do a good job of developing those guys in the start day one when they walk in the building, and you know, you start to build that momentum, and that's, I think that's what you're seeing in Arizona. There's that wave of guys that's come through. They all came up together. They all battled together. They won together in the minor leagues, and now they're going up to the big leagues, and they're they're prepared. They're they're ready for the moment, and you know, for a lot of young 22, 23, 24 year olds, like they haven't been phased by the uh, the big stage. Josh, uh, when you look at uh, the player development for the White Sox, uh, there was a disaster of a situation with Oscar Colas, a international signed player who uh, they tried to uh, get through the minor leagues for a year and a half and then brought him up as the starter last year. And um, I, I can't I can't cut my words to, to just say anything but the fact that it was embarrassing, the fact that um, – <clears throat> He wasn't ready. And here was a guy that had already played in the minor leagues, had already played in Japan, had already played at a high level in Cuba, and and comes up to the uh, major leagues and has no routes to baseball, doesn't hit cutoff men, uh, has tremendous tools with a a big bat and a great arm, but can't play. Uh, When you see a player like that come through a system, um, how do you get your head around it? And does that lead us to the fact that at the major league level now, with the White Sox having to replace about four coaches this year, that you have have to have even better instructors at the major league level now than you do in the minor leagues? Yeah, I, I would say that's yeah, that's it's true, and I think that's industry wide. I think you sh- you're seeing guys get to the big leagues younger; they're being asked to play bigger roles earlier now. So I think for a long time it was you know once they get to the big leagues, they're kind of finished products and um, you know, you don't have to really, really grind on on the coaching and developing up in the big league. That's not the case anymore. And again, that's not unique to here. I think that you're seeing that uh, more and more uh, in the big league. You look around the good teams, you know, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Astros. If you go to the field early, those guys are getting after it. They're grinding. They're, um, you know, from their individual D to to work on team fundamentals and stuff there, there's an attention to detail and, and a grind that, you know, that wasn't the case when I was coming up, it, you know, a lot of times it was just more hit fungos, throw VP, do some soft toss, and then spend a little time on game planning and you go out there and, and go get them. But, you know, I think the, the other, the other factor there uh, in the co-loss thing, and, you know, that's for me, so I can't, I can't speak on all of the, the details that went into that, but the, the COVID year, that lost year, it really hurt a lot of players in the minor leagues because, you know, those were 500 at bats. Um, guys would have gotten uh, of development that was, uh, you know, 100 plus innings on pitchers. And I think you saw the ramifications of that like the last couple of years. Uh, guys missing out on a step of development and being forced into roles. I know with the alt site guys were forced in 2020 to go up to the big leagues. I mean, guys, some guys from a ball and then they're having to go up to the big league. So I think it was a unique situation, um, you know, with what was going on in the game and uh, in the country. But, you know, I, I expect us to, 
you know, hopefully do a lot, a lot better job of getting guys, having guys being prepared when they get up to the big leagues and not needing to call guys up out of, uh, you know, just because there's nobody else. Hopefully we have a number of guys that are ready to go up there. And, and the other good thing about that is it, it, it's nice to have a little pressure on guys. It's nice to have somebody that's coming up behind you and coming after your job every day. I think that, that sense of urgency brings out the best in guys. Last few minutes with White Sox assistant general manager Josh Barfield here on Inside the Clubhouse. And Josh, you mentioned pitching in there and certainly coming from Arizona, you've got uh, or you had, I should say, a a nice stable of pitchers there. As you come into the White Sox, certainly an area of need heading into next season. What do you look for? How do you identify pitching and whether it's in the draft or amongst free agents? Uh, that's certainly an area that the White Sox uh, will need to add going, going into 24. Yeah, that was definitely an area of weakness, um, you know, this last year. Uh, I think Getsy did a, a great job in, in bringing in Brian Bannister um, to help oversee the pitching. And this guy's one of the brightest in the game, and he's um, had a lot of success, uh, you know, recently with San Francisco and then before that with, with Boston. So, you know, he's going to be heavily involved in that process. I think we have a lot of good – smart people um, on the pitching side. And, you know, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, how we're able to, uh, you know, optimize the guys that we have and then also go out and identify uh, guys that come in and play different roles, you know, guys that have the ability to do multiple things, play multiple roles, um, miss pass, throw strikes, uh, and, and have a uniqueness to them. So I think those are the things that we'll be looking for as we identify guys, whether it's in the draft or free agency. Uh, Josh, last one for me, and Mike and I really appreciate your time on Inside the Clubhouse today. Uh, you and uh, Chris and the rest of the front office will be at the GM meetings in early November and the winter meetings in December. Um, where do you where do you start? Because if people come after players like Eloy, if they come after guys like Cease, uh, you know we know they're talented players that uh, have all star tools, but at the same time. Uh, are you starting over? Do you need more inventory? Do you bring in more inventory rather than stick with a uh, with a player who's got a year or two left on a contract? These seem like uh, very difficult decisions to make. Yeah, you know, I think those are probably going to be the biggest decisions we're, we have to make this offseason. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're prepared. We're going to be a very popular team, I feel like, this offseason. We're going to have a lot of people hitting us up because we do have a really um, talented roster and some guys that, uh, are going to be very sought after, I imagine, this offseason with looking at, like, you know, the free agent market and, and what we'd be able to provide. But uh, same time, you know, I think we, we want to make sure that we're, we're being creative, we're looking at all the options and hopefully making the best decision, not just for the short term for the White Sox, but also for the, uh, for the long term. Uh, one, one more before I let you go, Josh, and that is uh, with T.A. Tim Anderson, one of the most talented players in baseball, certainly an all-star shortstop at times, uh, that decision has to be made on him uh, with the option coming up. And Chris was very clear that you guys would be sitting down with Tim to see where he is at going forward, uh, to see um, whether he's willing to move position or not, uh, how how much he wants to stay with the organization. Again, a very tough decision, but uh, a talented player who should thrive again in baseball. What were your... What were, you, what, what were your takeaways from watching Tim play this year and where he might fit best? Yeah, so, you know, I got to really focus on him like these last couple of weeks since I came over. And 
Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him and, you know, what he's done in this game, not, not only for, for the White Sox, but also for the community and the city. And, uh, you know, he's been a driving force for this organization for a number of years. So um, I know him and Chris got to sit down uh, before the season ended. And I know I'm sure there'll be uh, more conversations. Uh, you know, I think we want to do, we want to do what's right for the White Sox. We want to do what's right for him. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, there's been so much respect for, uh, for him. Uh, as I've had conversations with a lot of people in this organization, as I'm getting to know, uh, know the organization, I got to have a brief conversation with him. Just got to introduce myself, but again, I'm, I'm, uh, it's going to be another one of those big decisions that we have to make this year. And we want to make sure that, you know, we're doing what's right for him and what we're doing what's right for the White Sox. So, uh, we still got a little time on that decision, and I don't think anything's been made yet. Josh, you're welcome to Chicago from our station here, 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Uh, look forward to seeing you at the uh, GM meetings in Arizona and at the winter meetings. Have a great offseason. Thanks for taking some time out today. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, take care. That's Josh Barfield, White Sox assistant general manager. And uh, as you said, Bruce, and as he discussed, the challenge is in front of him, right? I mean, he came from a situation in Arizona where the team, uh, you know, they're playing the Dodgers today in game one of the divisional series. Uh, they are on the upswing. He he was intrigued by and accepted the offer to come in here and, and try to help uh, rebuild the Chicago White Sox. Uh, a lot of work ahead of him, but uh, he sounded uh, pretty excited and pretty optimistic and, and up to the task. Well, as you pointed out, uh, his record speaks for himself uh, itself with uh, all of the uh, young players in the Arizona uh, farm system that you'll watch during the playoffs uh, beginning again today in the division series against the Dodgers. Uh, terrific uh, baseball mind, terrific uh, communicator, uh, a great sign by Chris Getz and the Chicago White Sox. So. Uh, they will need everything uh, going their way and all the bright minds that they can get to uh, rebuild that club going into 2024. Absolutely. Still lots to come here on Inside the Clubhouse. Bruce did one-on-ones uh, with Kyle Hendricks, with Michael Kopech. We'll listen into them. We will listen into some sound from earlier this week. Jed Hoyer had his uh, year-end presser. Nico Horner did a great interview on the Parkins and Spiegel show. We'll we'll get into some of those as well, as well as taking a look, Bruce, at uh, those playoff series in the next hour. We'll we'll give you our thoughts as to who comes out of both the American and National League. And when when we return, one of our favorite segments here on Inside the Clubhouse: Should he stay or should he go? We will do it with one of the South Side's favorites next on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Who should stay and who should go? Should I stay or should I go now? With Bruce Levine and David Haw on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. And an interesting case for this week, Bruce. Mike Esposito in for David this week uh, as we go back to the south side and probably their most valuable piece, but should he stay or should he go with Mr. Dylan Cease? Uh, your thoughts there, Bruce? And, we're, yeah, we're having some trouble with Bruce. I will start, though. My thoughts on Dylan Cease are this. is He is, as I said, he is your most valuable asset in terms of uh, current players. 
He was on the books for $5.7 million this year. Uh, two more seasons of control, though. He's not an un- unrestricted free agent until 2026, Bruce. So to me, that that speaks to a stay. And, and you think coming off of a bad season, selling low on Dylan Cease, probably not a good idea, in my opinion. Well, there's a lot of very different variables, Mike, to Dylan Cease. First of all, he had a bad year this year. He had a 458 ERA, uh, only won uh, seven ball games. Not what you expected from the guy that was a runner-up for the Cy Young Award to Verlander in 2022. Um, the the numbers are there, okay? The numbers are there that you want to see in a starting pitcher. Dylan Cease has made every start that he was available for and that he was supposed to pitch since 2020, every single one. He's averaged 175 innings, okay? Over the last three years, he's averaged 32 starts, exactly what you want. He's in the top five in strikeouts the last three years. He's also in the top two or three in walks. So, uh, Mike, he's a, he's a very hard pitcher for you to get your head around. The one thing that you talk about the most, and it's an overused statement, uh, availability is the best ability, especially when you're talking about starting pitchers. Dylan Cease has always posted, okay, in an era where people are excited about somebody making 20 to 25 starts, he makes all of his 32 or 33. So I don't know how you quantify what he's worth to you right now as a rebuilding team going into 2023 or um, as a contending team in 2023. The stability of a rotation is important to establish. He's going to do that. He's going to help save your bullpen most of the time. So whether you're a contending team or not, uh, that's essential to move forward. However, Mike, if he can bring you back three top players from another organization in a trade, either at the GM meetings or the winter meetings this winter. If you're Chris Getz and company, what do you say to that? If you can bring in uh, a starting catcher, a starting second baseman, another pitcher, uh, how enticed will you be to trade Dylan Cease? Yep, it's it's the it's a great question. And two more seasons of control, he's going to be a valuable commodity to teams that are going to be contending next year. And as you mentioned, he makes all his starts. He's a valuable commodity. So I think he stays, but I, I think certainly the White Sox are going to be enticed by what people have to offer. Mike, uh, we have more to do in top of the hour. We're going to hear from Michael Kopech, we're going to hear from Kyle Hendricks. We want to hear from you at 312-644-6767. This is Inside the Clubhouse. He's Mike. I'm Bruce. We're here till 11 at 670 to the score and 670 to the score.com.